We're going to look at a little word here today. Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Now we was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, a woman who had a spirit of infirmity was bent over and could no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, you are loosed from that spirit of infirmity. And he laid hands on her and immediately... She was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and said to the crowd, There are six days in which men ought to work. Therefore come and be healed on them, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord answered and said, Hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath day lose his donkey from the stall and lead him away to the watering? And not not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, and all of his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitudes rejoiced for the glorious things that was done by him. Lord, add the blessing to the reading and the preaching of your word. And everyone said a great big Amen. There are four levels of study to a Jewish rabbi. One of those studies to a Jewish rabbi would be to take a particular story of a Bible and to look at that particular story and to break it down so that you could understand the common principle and precept of that story so it could be applicable to the common person. That's what I would like to do this morning. I would like to be almost like a Jewish rabbi, and I would like to take the fourth level of study like a Jewish rabbi, and I would like to take the story and break it down to the common level, and I would like to look at this story and to see how this story is applicable to you and I. It's a common story. It's a story filled with so many applications that I believe it would do us disfavor if I didn't look at it properly. We are, we are confronted with this story where the Bible tells us this woman was very sick. The Bible tells us that she was bent over for 18 long years. She was in a religious institution. She was in the synagogue and she was sick. The Bible says that Jesus had noticed her. The Bible says that Jesus had called her unto him. And you know the story. I read it to you. The Bible says that Jesus called her and loosed her from this spirit. And the Bible says, and she was immediately made well. Now, of course, the scripture indicates to us that not everybody was happy because she was made well. Not everybody rejoiced because she was made well of her sickness and her disease. I have found, ladies and gentlemen, that not everybody will be happy because of your, uh, because of your blessing. Not everybody will celebrate because of your blessing in life. So I want us to look at this story and I want us to see a few things. 
The Bible indicates to us in verse 16 that the Bible says that she was a daughter of Abraham. This sick person is a daughter of Abraham. In other words, she was a covenant. She had a covenant with God. She was a believer in God. The Bible says that she had a covenant relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. She believed in the God of the Old Testament. She had a covenant relationship with God. Although she was sick, although she was disfigured, although she was handicapped, she still believed in God. The Bible says in verse number 10, verse number 10 of the same chapter, it gives us the indication that she was in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Not only is this woman sick, not only is this woman a believer in the God of the Old Testament, not only is she a, not only does she have a covenant relationship with God, but the Bible says in verse 10 that she is worshiping God on the Sabbath day. So very important details about this woman. She is a daughter of, of Abraham. She has a covenant with God. She is a believer in God. She is worshiping God on the Sabbath day. But yet the Bible says in verse number 11, verse number 11, that she has a spirit of infirmity for 18 years that had caused her to be bent over to the point where she could not lift up herself. She was disfigured, she was handicapped, and she could not uh, lift herself up. Now, I hope that you understand what I'm trying to pinpoint this morning. I hope that you understand what I'm trying to say this morning. We see a story here this morning of a believer. We see a story here this morning of a believer, a woman who is a believer in God. We see a woman who, quote unquote, who is going to church on the Sabbath day with a condition that has her been over. We see a woman who is a believer in God with a condition who, who has caused her to be bent over and handicapped. I think that the point is clear this morning that sometimes you've got to come to church and you've got to come to the house of God in spite of the way that you feel. Uh, can I say that again this morning? Sometimes you've got to come to the house of God in spite of the way that you feel. Sometimes you've got to worship God through a duration or a period of time of worshiping up under stress. This woman was coming to church, quote unquote, a place of worship where she had a condition. She may have had to come to worship God for a period of time where things was not right in her life. <coughs> Did you hear me this morning, church? She had to worship God when things were not right in her life. Ladies and gentlemen, you may have to come to church for a while and worship God when things are not right in your life. 
She had to come to church and worship God when things were not right in her life. This story is a prime example that sometimes you've got to worship God when things are not right in your life. Sometimes you've got to come to church when things are not right in your life. Sometimes you've got to make yourself come to the house of God and worship up under stress when your life is falling apart. Hallelujah. Sometimes we stay home from the house of God. But this woman is a clear example that she went to a house of she went to the house of God even when she was handicapped, even when she was disfigured, even when she couldn't even lift herself up. She was found in the synagogue on the Sabbath worshiping God. You see ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine this woman coming to the house of God, and she's been over. She can't even look up to see who's preaching that day. She can't even look up to see who's reading the scriptures that day. She can't even look up to see who's reading from the Old Testament scriptures. But I can just imagine in my mind's eye what she's thinking to herself. She's thinking to herself, in spite of my affliction, in spite of my suffering, in spite of my condition, I know that I am handicapped. I know that I'm disfigured. I know that I'm bent over. I can't even look up to see who's preaching. In spite of all of that, I know that he is still God. I know that he is still Jehovah Jireh. I know that he is still my healer. I know that he is the son of God. In spite of all of that, you are still worthy of my praise. Somebody say hallelujah. You've got to get to a place in your life where you can't allow your condition to affect your praise. Hallelujah. Is there anybody in the building that will help the preacher out? You've got to realize that your praise is not dependent upon how you'll feel, but it is dependent upon a decision to worship you. This woman came to church in spite of how she felt. Hallelujah. You know what the crisis was? My first point this morning, there was a crisis going on. Number one, my first point, the crisis. The crisis. The crisis of this story is that I'm inferring on the text. It appears that this woman had went to a religious institution for 18 years, and this religious institution was impotent to deliver her. I believe that is the crisis of religion today. It's terrible to consider the fact that organized religion can become so preoccupied with our ceremonies and our rituals that we become so cold in regard to the needs of real people that sit in our seats Sunday after Sunday. That is the crisis of religion that we disregard the needs of real people 
and become concerned more about our ceremonies and our rituals than we could be concerned about the real needs of people. We become more concerned about what feast day it is, whether we need to wave the unleavened bread this way or this way, or whether we need to wave the grain offering this way or this way, that we forget that there are real needs setting in the church pew. Let me say this, and let me say it loud and clear. That religion becomes an enemy of the move of God. Anytime we become so in love with our ceremonies and our traditions rather than loving the people of God, it is a tragedy to realize that this woman was in the right place but she was not getting the right result that she needed by being in the right place. She was coming to a religious institution. But religion couldn't save her. For 18 years, she was bent over. And for 18 years, I assume... She was going to the synagogue, and for 18 years, she left the same way that she came. It's terrible to come to church and leave the same way. It's terrible to leave church more hurt, more confused, then you came. Listen to this preacher. It's a dilemma. It's an embarrassment. Jude said it's a spot in the feast of our charity to consider that this woman was in a religious institution, but she was not getting healed or delivered or the help that she needed. It seems as though I could be wrong. And I've been wrong lots of times in my life. And I could be wrong, but it seems as though that's what's happening today. It seems that's what's happening in the American church. Thousands are coming to church. According to the George Barna research, 45% of the American population attends church on Sunday morning. 45%. The average American attends church twice monthly. That's regular church attendance. Twice in a month. Thousands are coming and thousands are leaving. Are they leaving changed? Are they leaving better Christians? Are they leaving discipled Christians? Is there a crisis among us? Is there any more power in our services? Is there any more power in our sermons anymore? 
Is there any more power in our prayers? Is there any more power in our shout and dances anymore? Ladies and gentlemen, the American church has taught us how to pray without our mascara smearing now. They taught us how to dance to the right beat. They taught us how to say the appropriate words without offending anybody. Now we lower our lights and turn on the fog machine because now it looks more holy, don't it? The American church has taught us how to do the right thing to make it look like it's God. But my question is people's lives being changed? Is there better people sitting in the church pews? Are we better people today than we were last week? Are we better people today than we were last month? Are we bearing the fruit of Jesus Christ than we did last week? Is there a crisis going on? It's amazing to me that this woman had went to church for 18 years and nobody challenged the devil. Nobody challenged the Spirit's right on the woman's life. It's a crisis that this woman came to church and sat on the church pew and nobody challenged the Spirit's right. It's almost as if that spirit of infirmity came to church on her back like a monkey sitting on her shoulder of a street comedian. Every Sabbath, that spirit came and sat on her shoulder like a monkey would on a street comedian. And she would come and sit in a service and nobody would challenge the spirit's right. Can I just stop and say this right here? Can I preach right here? Can somebody say, preach on preacher? Can, can I say this right here? And I, and I just want to point my little finger right here. Is this all right? Can I say this right here? Anytime Satan goes unchallenged in your life, he will set up roots in your life. I'm going to say that again. Anytime Satan goes unchallenged in your life, he will set up roots in your life. If you don't challenge the enemy in your life, he will begin to move in your house and he will begin to decorate your house. But somebody needs to get mad at the devil and tell the devil you ain't going to move in the house. You better not unpack in your, my house because you ain't staying in my house. If I got to get up and run around my house and take my Bible and hit you between the eyes, you ain't staying in my house, devil. So don't you unpack and stay in my house is there anybody in here that can help me preach a little bit because if you don't challenge the devil the devil will start to unpack and move in your house you can tell the devil I may not know Greek and I may not know Hebrew but there is something inside of me and I, there is something inside of me that resists the powers of darkness and you're not staying in my life anytime 
the enemy exist for a long time in your life, he will wear you down to the point where you accept him as a part of your situation and you will begin to live with something that needs to be rebuked. That was a mouthful. Can I say that again? Can I say that again? Anytime the enemy exists for a long time, he will wear you down to the point that you accept him as a part of your situation and you will begin to live with something that should have been rebuked a long time ago. I'm going to say that again. Anytime the enemy exists for a long time, he will begin to wear you down to the point that you begin to accept him as a part of your situation and you will begin to live with something that should have been rebuked a long time ago. It is a crisis that they had allowed the enemy to find a place in their service and nobody had rebuked him. She had a spirit of infirmity and nobody challenged the devil. Oh, they were singing and jumping and shouting and speaking in tongues and nobody challenged the spirit's right. And then I thought, nobody challenged. You know, it's a crisis. Anytime church folk let mess go on, we don't speak against this. It's a crisis. It's a crisis, ladies and gentlemen. Anytime we act like we don't know what we should know, we should rebuke those things that should have been rebuked. That's a crisis. It's a crisis that anytime we don't challenge somebody's stinking thinking and nasty attitudes, that's a crisis. It's a crisis anytime church folk can shout and jump and leap and shout and can't talk to the person across the aisle. That's a crisis. It's a crisis that people can love God whom they've never seen and hate their brother who they see every day. That's a crisis. Oh, there was a crisis in that story. And then I thought to myself, well, what was the game changer? What was the game changer? The woman, I thought to myself, the woman didn't get healed until Jesus showed up. Y'all should have been shouting right there. They were having church without Jesus. How many knows that when Jesus shows up in the building, somebody's going to get healed. Somebody's going to get delivered. Somebody's going to get saved. Somebody's going to get healed. Let me tell you something. You can make it without stained glass windows. You can make it without a choir. You can make it without music. You can make it without a PA system, but there's one thing you can't make it without, and you can't make it without the power of Jesus Christ. Don't ever preach without Him. 
Don't ever sing without him. Don't ever pray without him. It was the moment that Jesus showed up is the moment the woman got healed. You know what Jesus said? That Jesus came and said, Woman, you're loose from that spirit. It's interesting. Jesus called it for what it was. Some of the mess that goes on in our life is nothing but a spirit. We like to pacify it and say, well, that's just how Mary acts. That's just how brother so-and-so acts. Well, I know we all have bad days, but if you've been acting like that for 30 years, it could be a spirit. Come on, somebody. If you've been rolling your eyes and have that nasty attitude, it could be just an oppressive spirit that's been on you. Sometimes we just need to call things for what it is. Can I hear an amen? Jesus said it is a spirit. We make all kinds of excuses. Well, they're just having a bad day. Well, you've been acting like that for a long time. It's a spirit. You're loose from it. How many of I'm preaching real good up in here? Well, pastor, I don't know about that. Well, you know, I've counseled a lot of people in 15, 20 years. And I've tried to pacify them, and it still didn't work. Sometimes I think people don't need to be counseled. It needs to be cast out. Can somebody just help me out? Some people, some people, it's just plain nasty. They just have all kinds of stuff wrong with them. Come on, somebody. They've been on medicine. You counsel them, and they just, it just... Some things is the devil. Come on, somebody. Some things is just a spirit thing, and some things is just a spirit. They got a nasty spirit attached to them, and you just need to call it for what it is. It is a spirit. Some of you might not agree with me, but that's all right. I've dealt with enough people in my life I think I can distinguish between whether it's a spirit or not a spirit. And some people are wrestling with oppressive spirits, and we need to call it for what it is. Can I hear an amen? Not everything is a spirit. Not everything is. You've got to discern. But there are some things that's a spiritual attack of the enemy. You've got to discern what it is by the power of the spirit. And Jesus said, it's a spirit. And then, you know what Jesus said? He said, come here. Because when you deal with stuff, Jesus said, come here. He called it right up in here. Jesus didn't sweep it under the carpet. Jesus didn't say, well, let's take it to the back room. Jesus said, come right up in here. Let me deal with it. And Jesus dealt with it there. It's a spirit. Number two, you have the crisis of the storm. Now you have the critics. And right after Jesus healed the woman, you got a bunch of religious folks in the background. Y'all, y'all know I'm preaching now. Because now you have these religious folks, you know, you know, y'all know I'm preaching now. These religious folks, and you know what these religious folks said? Now he shouldn't have healed. 
on the Sabbath, there are six days in which he should have healed. He shouldn't have healed on the Sabbath. Can I just say this? As long as the woman was crippled, confused, and handicapped, broke, busted, and disgusted, she was all right and she fit right in the crowd. But the moment she didn't need a ride to church anymore, moment she didn't need no gas money, they all got jealous. Come on, somebody. And the critics said, Jesus, what's up with you, dude? Why are you healing her? They all got mad and upset. I've learned one thing. Can I just say something? You've got to learn to go... Y'all, I'm about ready to shout. I'm about ready to cut a rug right up in here. Can I, can I just say this? Because the Holy Spirit showed me something right up in here. Can I, can I, can I say this? Put this up here. Luke, I, I, I'm sad that not everybody's here today, but I'm going to give all the hay to you right now. Is this all right? Luke chapter 13, and I want you to look at verse 13. Look at this. Luke 13, 13. And he laid hands on her, right? Immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. So she's praising God, right? Is she praising God? Verse 14, the ruler of the synagogue, and now he's upset, right? They all get upset. Jesus healed. Verse 15, so verse 14, they're all upset. So look at verse 13. She's praising God. Verse 14, they're all upset. Verse 15, and the Lord answered and said, hypocrite. Now, nowhere in this story... Does she answer her critics? She's praising God and the Lord answers the critics. Because what happens is, is we want to go back and answer the critics. But the Lord is saying, you keep your mouth shut, you praise God and let me answer your critics. Because what happens is, is when the Lord blesses us, we want to go back and say, You don't know the hell I've been through. If you knew the hell I've been through, then you would understand why God... No, keep your mouth shut. Let the Lord defend you. You go ahead and praise God and let God answer your critics. And somebody go ahead and just praise God right up in here. And you've got to learn. You've got to learn to go ahead and praise God while everybody else is rolling their eyes trying to figure out whether it's God or not. You just got to learn to praise God anyway. You see the prodigal son, when he came back, the other brother got all upset. But you got to learn to go ahead and throw a party while the other brother's upset. And that's what happens, is we want to go back and try to defend ourselves. Don't go do that. The critics, let the Lord take care of the critics. You have the crisis. You have the critics, because there's always going to be critics. Always. You've got to learn to walk in integrity. Walk in faith, in spite of your critics. You have the crisis critics, 
In closing, we got the Christ. Because the story, the climax of the story is always Christ. It is Christ who healed the woman. You see, Christ understood this woman's pain. You know why he understood this woman's pain? Great theologians describe Jesus as God. Jesus is man. Jesus is not 50% man, 50% God. Christian doctrine tells us that Jesus is 100% man. Jesus is 100% God. It's called the hyperstatic union. It's that two natures. It's that God and that man becoming one. It's 100% man and 100% God. It's not half God and half man. And Jesus is 100% man. He understands our weaknesses. He understood this woman's weakness. He felt this woman's pain. But at the same time, Jesus is God. He could deliver this woman from this woman's pain. He could deliver this woman from this woman's disease. Jesus is God and Jesus is man at the same time. Hallelujah. And I'm letting you know today that we just don't serve a God who don't understand your pain. We serve a God who understands your pain, but we serve a God who can also deliver your pain. Hallelujah. We just don't serve a God who sits on a throne who cannot understand the pain of His people, but we serve a God who sits on a throne, who at one time walked the earth, who died on a cross, who sympathized with the pain of His people, and His Father exalted Him to a throne. We call upon His name today because we understand that not only can He sympathize with our pain, but He can deliver us from our pain. He is God and He is man. This story teaches us that He can sympathize with the very pain of humanity, but He can also deliver us and heal our very pain. As man, He can sleep in the boat. But as God, He can get up and command the winds and the waves to be still. As man, he can get hungry. But as God, he can command the loaf and the fish to multiply. As man, he can weep at the tomb of Lazarus. But as God, he can command his body to be resurrected. As man, they can take his body down from the cross. And Joseph of Arimathea can wrap his body in a linen cloth and 
put his body in a borrowed tomb. But as God, on the third day, he can resurrect himself. Singing, there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. He is not only God, but he is man. He is the God-man. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the greatest man but not only is he the greatest man who's ever lived, he is God enthroned with thousands of angels where angels cry, holy, holy, holy. And John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He is God and he is man. Heals our pain. Delivers the world. He is God. He is man. He is the greatest mystery ever known to the world. How can a man be God? God be man. Blows my mind. But today we're going to remember that the very elements of bread and juice represents this God. crisis the critics and the Christ of this story would you enjoy the word today hallelujah the Hindus will tell you go make yourself better and our God will help Muslims will tell you go fast during the holy month of Ramadan. Allavin will help you. Buddhism say bring a gift to our priest. God will help you. Christianity, two thousand years, has proclaimed, come just the way you are. And our God. Never has there ever been a man like this one. 